بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم رب الشح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل عقدة من لساني يفقه قولي سبحانك لعلمنا إلا ما علمتنا سبحانك لعلمنا إلا ما علمتنا سبحانك لعلمنا إلا ما علمتنا ما بعد so alhamdulillah for uh, a month or so I was uh, uh, here with all of you and before I started traveling and we covered uh, we did four sections four sessions from uh, the book hidden blessings 40 wisdoms behind calamities difficulties trials and tribulations uh, and it's an amazing compilation uh, by uh, the students of and translated by Sheikh Tamim Ahmadi or actually by he compiled it uh, different wisdoms from the various books of Hakim uh, al-Ummah on the, the wisdoms behind difficulty and trials, and it's something that is so relevant to every single one of us, because we all go through our various trials. And so we covered four sessions, and we had, alhamdulillah, Mulan Ahsan, Mufti Minhaj, and others, inshallah, today. So I'm, since I'm covering today as well, inshallah, I'd like to continue where I left off um, in, from our previous duras. Before we begin, may I request everyone to please move forward, inshallah, kindly take a step forward, uh, and fill up the gaps. And remind ourselves that we're sitting here. Uh, we're we're sitting here for for the sake of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala for our own benefit. Reminder also to keep our ma uh, masks with our mouth and nose covered, please. So we we make niya that uh, Ya Allah, we're here for our own benefit, and Ya Allah, allow me to practice in whatever I hear. Allow me to implement it immediately. Allow me to share it with others. And propagate it to others. Additionally, we should make niya that whatever uh, deficiencies I have, spiritual deficiencies or any other deficiency, uh, through the barakah of our lessons, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows us to focus on uh, removing of those deficiencies. Because this is uh, one of the greatest blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon an individual that he recognizes his own weaknesses. And he begins to work and make an effort on improving that. A huge mahrumi and pervasion is when a person does not see his faults and cannot focus on rectification because he doesn't see it. It's like you are driving in the blindly. Cannot. How long is that going to last? So if we are not aware of our shortcomings, we will not be able to rectify them. So we need to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us such eyes that will allow us to focus on our own, our own weaknesses and make an effort on rectifying that inshallah. So the next section on page 49 uh, is, he says, here I wish to mention in the summary of a small article authored by Sheikh Uzzuddin ibn Abdul Salam for the benefit of the respected readers entitled Al-Fitan wal-Balaya wal-Mihan wal-Razaya aw Fawaid al-Balwa wal-Mihan It's called The Book of Calamities, Tribulations, Hardships and Disasters and another name, The Benefits of Tribulations and Tests So it's just a 17 uh, points um, gist of a small booklet by one of the great scholars of Islam, Izzuddin ibn Abdul Salam. Uh, <clears throat> so he says, number one, you through the through difficulty and hardship, you realize the power of your Lord over you. You realize the power of your Lord over you. Um, number two, you realize your abject slavehood. 
I will inshallah re revisit each point. Let me just read through all of them. You realize the power of your Lord over you. You realize your abject slavehood and your complete state of resignation and brokenness before the will and power of Allah. You develop sincerity to Allah. You return to Allah and are suddenly fervent in your desire for your Lord. Tribulations lead to a humbled state before Allah. You develop forbearance with the one who has afflicted you. You begin to be able to forgive others. You have patience during the tribulation. And this itself is beneficial for you. Because of these benefits, you actually become glad, happy. You become grateful because of these benefits. The calamities provide purification from your wrongdoings and sins. Allah enables you to show empathy to people that are in tribulation and help them. Tribulations give you the blessings of having true recognition of the extent of the blessings. One will inshallah receive what Allah has prepared from the blessings and rewards of the hereafter based on these varying ranks. Hidden within the folds of these calamities are blessings. Tribulations prevent you from arrogance, evil pride and tyranny. And number 17, contentment. So number one is that we're realizing the power of Allah over us. That's huge. In Allah ala kulli shay'in qadir. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all capable over everything. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ghalib. He is overpowering. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is qahar. Allah is jabbar. He has absolute authority over anyone and everything. And la yus'alu amma yaf'al. He cannot be asked why he does what he does. He cannot be asked why he does what he does. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, يَعْلَمُ السِّرَّ He is aware of the hidden. وَأَخْفَى He is aware of the secret and he is aware of what is hidden beyond the secrets. يَعْلَمُ خَائِنَةَ الْأَعْيُنِ He is aware of the, the mistakes of the eyes. He is aware of the treachery committed by the eyes. So all of these verses and hundreds of more verses in the Qur'an speak of the, to the extent of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's power, His knowledge, His attributes, His qualities in the Qur'an. But the realization of what this actually means, we understand many times only after difficulty. When we realize that, wow, this could have happened any day, any time, any second. Like someone who gets up not being able to use the restroom, Allah forbid. Or someone wakes up uh, in some extreme stomach pain or extreme other type of pain, any type of pain. And he begins to realize that where's, where's all my strength and power, right? A person's ready to go play basketball. A person's ready to get into a, a boxing match. A person's mm -hmm. ready to get into something, a wrestling match. And all of a sudden, he, he's in pain. He's hurt, right? He's physically incapable of doing anything right now. And he uh, realizes that, hey, if I was that strong, uh, I should get rid of this pain right now. But right now I am crying, whimpering, can't, be able to, can't even stand. So where's all the mightiness, where's all that greatness, where is all that uh, chest thumping gone now? When a person is on the ground uh, crying for help. So due to the blessings of Allah, many times we simply are not able to understand and recognize His power over us. And that leads us to arrogance. And that leads us to a host of issues. So just for a person to realize who Allah is, this is one of the best ways. You know, sometimes you have to uh, let the, uh, for example, child know you got to set him in his place. If he's, for example, going out completely out, out of place. 
And a person may raise their voice or whatever the case may be. And then he realizes, okay, yes, what am I thinking? I can't be doing this. I can't be, let's say, you know, doing something which is not beneficial to myself. It's going to harm me. My parents are, are um, drawing my attention to the fact that this is going to be harmful. So it sometimes takes a warning sign, it takes a raised voice from a parent for this child to understand the mistake they're making. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sometimes puts us through difficulty. And in that difficulty, we recognize Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's power over us. And then we, it makes us realize that we cannot be acting as though we are gods. We are servants of Allah. And Allah is almighty, all-powerful. He simply may not express His full authority over our body, you know, unless He wishes to. Yeah, what I mean by that is a person may not realize how powerful Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is and how completely controlling He is over, over our body. It sometimes requires a pain, a suffering for a person to recognize that. Similarly, in our relationships with people, a person thinks that he's my buddy. He will listen to anything I say. That's an amazing employee I have. That is an amazing employer I have. That's an amazing business partner I have. Little do we know that they are as amazing as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants them to be amazing. And if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wishes to just cause one type of misunderstanding, then all of that amazingness is out the door. And everything falls apart in front, right in front of you. That relationship between a husband and a wife, which is sometimes so strong and a person thinks it's not going anywhere, then, you know, this is going to be very strong, Yani. It falls apart within, within seconds. We're seeing, we're seeing the qudra of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, on, on, on relationships nowadays when things fall apart. So this is a difficulty. You realize the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala over you. But alhamdulillah, if we can walk away from a difficulty realizing how powerful Allah is, that's successful. That's it. The ma'rifah of Allah, my beloved brothers and sisters, dear listeners, the ma'rifah of Allah, knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who He is, is the greatest blessing, the greatest knowledge. فَعَلَمْ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Know very well that there's none worthy of worship besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And having knowledge of Allah is the ultimate knowledge. So if sometimes you are able to achieve that knowledge through passing through difficulty. Number two, you realize your abject slavehood and your complete state of resignation and brokenness before the will and the power of Allah. Ali radiallahu anhu is attributed to him. He said, I recognize my Lord by seeing my, uh, my, uh, seeing my decisions, my uh, strong intentions fall apart in front of me. A strong fervor I had to achieve something. A strong dedicated niya I had to achieve something. And not being able to achieve it. I said, why? But I had full niya to do this. Why did this? Why was I not able to accomplish it? Because guess what? I'm not in control of my life. Okay, well, let's just walk away with that now. Understand that. You are not in control of your life. Right? We are, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in control. So if we can walk, you try to catch a flight. You try to get that job. You try to get that... Uh, you know, university, but it didn't happen. You tried everything. Then you realize that you are nothing but a simple, small slave in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that you are completely dependent upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's wish and desire to achieve anything. When a person recognizes who is in power, then we will now realize that we have to go through the proper channels. I'm not going to just jump right in. I'm going to pray two rakat salat al-hajjah before I jump in. Pray two rakat salah. Give sadaqah. 
right? Make, ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for help. And then go attempt whatever I need to attempt. You don't just jump in and say, no, I'm in completely in control and I'm going to do this myself. We don't do that. We always use our a'mal. We say, Bismillah. We follow the prophetic method of any, doing anything. Asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for assistance. Then, after having done through, going through all the channels, and yet we're not able to achieve what we wanted to achieve, then we know Allah never willed it. Period. I couldn't have done any better. I tried everything, and if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't will it, what can I say? It was already decided before the creation of the heavens and the earth that this incident will happen. And it was going to be like this. So, we just have to accept it. So we realize how small and humble we are. Number three, we de develop sincerity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mukhlisina lahuddin. Right, we, we, we realize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the ultimate and the only one in, in power. And so that's why uh, we need to be sincere in our ibadah towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Through difficulty, we come back to Allah. Meaning, if we have strayed away from the deen, difficulty brings us back to the deen. And we are suddenly fervent in our desire for Allah. That's one of the most amazing things as well. The masjid is a beautiful place where yesterday we heard Munafman speaking about how this is the place for people. Uh, the masjid is supposed to be a place to welcome people who are going through all sorts of difficulties. Like he mentioned the story of Rasulullah seeing one companion who was sitting there at a time that was not the time of Salah. And he inquired, he looked at him, he, he figured that he was going through a difficult time. And he explained, what was the reason he was there? Debts. Right? He had a lot of debts. And he was worried about how he's going to pay those debts. So then Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, you just read the dua right here. Um, uh, you know, Allahumma ni'adul hammi wal hazan, wa'adul adzi wal kasal, wa'adul jubni wal bukhul. So make sure you get the dua card if you don't already have one. So, um, uh, you know, and the dua booklet too. Yeah. So th this dua Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam gave him because he was sitting there. The masjid is supposed to be a place for refuge. And when COVID hit and the government mandated, you know, or, or, or people took it to the next step and we closed our, our institutions and the gatherings were not allowed over 50, etc. Uh, one of the first things that crossed my mind was where are people going to go and shed their tears? Where are going to people go and cry? Where are they going to people who are trying to seek refuge in Allah, where will they be going? Because a masjid is an open place where for anyone at any given time wants to come and find assistance, find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, masjid should be available. So my beloved friends, that's just an important point here, is that the masjid need to be open as much as possible. Right? There needs to be a way, you know, that it shouldn't be that... Besides, of course, that in times of the night and things of that sort, maybe. But ideally, even in the night, we should have a system, subhanAllah. A system whereby, you know, the banks have a lobby that are open even after hours. So maybe a system where a certain portion of the masjid is as open throughout the time. You can have multiple, you know, heavy set doors and security after that. But there should be a place for someone in the middle of the night who wants to come and make ibadah. You know, he has a place available to get out of his home, get out of his car, and, and, and find a, a place where they can sit and connect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just saying, inshallah, one day we can have something like that. But this would be nice, that, uh, so that there's no such thing as, you know, these are the hours when you're open. But rather, the hours with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are open anytime. Yes, your house is a place that you can always worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But many times, the problem is within the home. 
and a person needs to run away from that situation and go sit with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in khalwa, in secrecy, in seclusion to be able to figure out what's going on. So difficulty pushes a person towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How many people may think right now, brothers and sisters, they say, I'm here in this environment, I'm here tonight, I'm here this morning, I'm here studying ilm al salam because I hit rock bottom in my life, right? I hit rock bottom, something happened to me and I plunged and I plummeted and now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed me to rebound and here I am sitting in this gathering or sitting attending the conference or studying ilm. So this is a huge blessing of Allah that when, when calamity comes our way, it brings us back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Tribulations lead to a humble state before Allah. We've spoken about that before. You develop forbearance with the one who's afflicted you. Yes. Now we learn hilm, forbearance. The ability that I'm going to simply accept and swallow whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends my way. I'm not going to criticize. I'm not going to critique. I'm not going to say why. This aspect of questioning why, it does not make the difficulty any easier to handle. It actually makes it much, much, much more worse. When a person starts crit criticizing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then tama'nina, peace, contentment from the heart is gone. When you don't have no peace and contentment, then you, we're going to sit there and just cry all day and be upset. My beloved friends, that's one of the things we need to learn is to be in a state of contentment with Allah. As he said, that was the last one, contentment. Only through the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are the hearts content. Recently, a, a brother shared with me his you know, painful story of uh, a, you know, a full-term, completely live, alive, healthy baby uh, being lost. And at, you know, it was a stillbirth. And they had, have no explanation why it was because it was literally 100% fine, full weight, full term, everything fine. And then the, the next day... Uh, uh, after going to a checkup, they said, well, the child, the baby has passed away. Subhanallah. So he was just telling me, you know, how uh, through the dhikr of Allah, through reflection, through muraqaba, him and his spouse have been able to, you know, keep their senses and been able to reflect upon this calamity to see how, what are the hidden blessings behind this calamity. How many first-time parents will have lost their mind, right? And would be just sitting there depressed, crying, and not being able to handle the situation, maybe even saying things which are objectionable, which are unacceptable uh, in, front of the court, in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why is that happening? Because the spiritual state is weak. When your spiritual state is strong, and you can resort to dhikr and muraqaba and muhasaba, and, and you resort to self-reflection, then what happens? You will be able to gain, and you'll be able to see the silver lining in every situation, including... A, a, such a sad situation of the loss of a child, right? So that if we don't do that, if we don't do the muraqaba and muhasaba and the dhikr, then we will be in a very uh, horrible state internally. We'll be very upset. And being upset is not going to help us with anything. You begin to be able to forgive others. So forgiveness is something that is, may seem easy, but it's not actually easy. So this is uh, this famous incident of a companion of the Prophet ﷺ who entered the masjid and Rasulullah ﷺ told the companions that if any of you wants to see a person from the people of Jannah, he's about to enter. And they all looked and a man was walking 
And the companion who's the narrator of the hadith, he tells us how well he remembers that scene. He says, this man, he had his shoes in one hand. He was walking across the masjid to the other end. And he had just performed wudu. And you could see the droplets of wudu, you know, coming down from his beard and from his face. And he walked by. Nabi Sallallahu had said previous to his entrance, that whoever wants to see a person from the people of paradise, he's going to come right now. And we're all looking, and this man walks by. Like, well, wow. He's not Abu Bakr, he's not Umar, he's someone else. And then Nabi Ali Sallallahu the very next day repeated the same thing. Whoever, whoever amongst you wants to see a people from the people of paradise, he should look. And when he looked, the same person goes. Then the Prophet Sallallahu repeated the same statement the third time. Whoever wants to see a person from the people of paradise, he's about to go by. And they look again and that same person walked by. So now at this incident, at this, after this incident, uh, one of the companions said, I must go find out what is the hidden secret of this individual. That three days in a row, he has been promised paradise by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So he went to him, he followed him to his home, and he said, I've had an argument with my father, or argument at home, and I cannot stay at home. I'm looking for a place to sleep tonight. As we would say, I want a place, you know, I need a place to crash. I need to go away from, from home. So he said, okay, I'm sorry to hear that. Come through, come on over. So he went to his house and he says, there was no argument or anything. I, the main reason what I wanted to see is what does this person do at night? Because of which he is receiving the certificate of paradise three days in a row from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. I want to do that. I'm envious of him for that status. So he watches him the entire night. And he says, lo and behold, he barely got up. I thought he's going to be on, you know, as we would say, maybe tahajjud on one foot. Tahajjud on one leg. Yeah, maybe he was doing something like that. On one leg you recite the whole Quran and then the other leg the whole Quran. And then you say salam and then it's time for fajr. So there you go. It must be, that's the key to Jannah. So he saw that he actually didn't even wake up that night. Interesting, I'm sure, you know. He just was taking, when he was turning side to side, he was doing dhikr. You know when you, in the, in the midst of your sleep, you're taking, turning sides. When he was turning sides, he was doing the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, one day gone. The extra, extra hard day, he was making effort in the Sira conference. We'd say, ah, oh, he's making a lot of effort. He's too sleepy. The next day, same thing. Evening come time comes, he's not seeing. Even probably spent the day in and out at his house. He's not seeing something super special that he doesn't do. It's like everything he's doing, I'm doing. Third day he looks, again, the entire day is pretty mundane. Pretty simple, straightforward. So then he's like, what a waste, right? How I'm saying. Look how I'm going. So he started leaving. He said, well, brother, you're leaving? He said, yes, brother. I'm leaving. Admission, you know, failed. Uh, what do you mean? He says, no, I actually came here, you know, to... To check out what's happening in your home. He, he opened up to him. You know, he says, I wasn't because of running away from home. I wanted to see what you do here. Because of which you are getting this honor of being awarded and promised paradise by the Prophet ﷺ himself. Three days in a row in front of the rest of us. What do you do? And since I didn't see anything special, I'm going home. Look at the... Uh, frankness and the simplicity of these companions. He's not jealous of him. He's not uh, envious in a wrong manner. He's honest to God. Like as soon as he hears about it, he says, let me just go see what he's doing. You know, many times when we see and hear accomplishments of the people of Deen, like I spoke about in this past Tuesday as well, instead of being encouraged, we actually become jealous. 
instead of becoming competitive and say, inshallah, I'm going to do the same or do, you know, I'm going to compete with them, a person becomes jealous and say, why is this person achieving this? Why? You know, why does he have this achievement in deen? Or why do his children have this achievement in deen? It's pretty ajib. People, shaitan, subhanallah, you know, one is he's not allowing us to do the good that others are doing. And then he indulges us in the worst type of sin called jealousy. It's called al-haliqah. The Prophet ﷺ said this is, it shaves, it's a shaver. Then he said, I'm not saying you shave your head. It shaves your religion off of you. Jealousy what? Shaves off your religion. Jealousy shaves off your religion. So a person is not following the deen. And then on top of that, he's doing, indulging in another major sin. A much major sin is that we are jealous of someone else's deeny accomplishments. And we say, oh, you know, why, why do they have this and why do they have that? SubhanAllah. So the, this Sahabi was not like that. He said, I just want to learn what you're doing. I want to follow that. Okay, now if imagine you found out that someone came to your house for three days simply to spy on you, to check what you're doing. Right? How, what's your responses? And then he's like, I'm not, I have not been able to figure out what you're doing. A person's like, yeah, there you go. That's good. That's what you deserve. You came to my house to, to spy on me and you didn't get it. Mission failed. That's great. Mission accomplished for me. Mission failed for you. Look at the simplicity and the openness of these companions. He calls him back. And he says, he was leaving. He calls him back. And he says, come over here. Uh, you know what? I know you came to, I, I feel, you, know, I, you came to look at what I'm doing. I know I don't do much. It is what it is. But the, you may have, you may have not seen one thing. I'll just, let, I'll just share it with you. And so look at how beautiful this host Sahabi is. That he's willing to speak about his life. In a, in a, he opened up his house, opened up his night, opened up his day. But it didn't stop there. He said, I'm willing to share with you something that you may not have taken notice of. And he said, what is that? He says, every single night before I go to bed, I turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I make a niyyah that I have forgiven every single person who has hurt my feelings, who has backbited me, who has harbored jealousy, animosity, hatred against me, who has usurped my rights. I forgive all of them for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's sake. And I give this charity, charity, sadaqah every single night before I go to bed. This companion, as soon as he heard this, he said, that's it, by Allah, this is it. This is it, what you have just said. And then he also said that this is not easy. This companion said, I know what you're speaking about. This is it and this is not easy. And he walked away saying, you know, subhanAllah, thank you. You know, but this is, it's not easy to follow in your footsteps. So now we have the best companions telling us this, that to just completely forgive someone when you're in pain is not easy, except if Allah enables you to do it. And that's what Nabi the Quran speaks about. Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu He should forgive and he should forget and he should overlook the mistake made by Mistah. Mistah is a distant relative who Abu Bakr anhu was spending monthly stipend, giving him a monthly stipend, giving him help, financial assistance. And he ended up being caught up in, and being one of the main spreaders of the false accusation against his own beloved, honorable daughter Aisha radiallahu anha. And when he found out that the man who I spend money on every month is involved in spreading these false lies and accusations against my 
daughter, the wife of the Prophet, in so much suffering she's gone through and the Nabi has gone through. What about the Nabi's suffering? For over a month, the whole Medina is turned upside down, inside out. The Prophet is so perturbed. He doesn't know what to do. Should he stay with her? Should not stay with her? Eventually, she fell ill and he asked her to go home and spend time with her parents. Or she asked herself, requested to go home and spend time with her parents. It was a huge trial for the Ummah, for Aisha Lana, and for Rasulullah himself. And one of the unfortunate instigators of all of this, or spreaders of it, was Mistah. So he said, Wallahi, I'm never going to spend money. That's the least, right? That's the least you would do. Most, I think all people would take it to the next level, would escalate it to 100 degrees more. But he didn't, he just said, I'm going to stop spending money on you because I'm so hurt by what you've done. Allah reveals verses of the Quran upon Rasulullah to be read till the day of judgment and beyond. And Allah says, Allah tuhibboon. The people of virtue should not take oaths that they will not give money and support the poor and the relatives of theirs. This is not befitting of the people of virtue. Virtuous people don't do things like this. You don't take oaths to say, oh, you did this tit for tat. I'm going to do this. No, we don't do tit for tat game. You never did it for him. You did it for Allah. So who cares what the response may have been? The real ikhlas will come when situations like this will arise. When the person you're helping will backstab you. When the person will helping you, when the person you're helping will, instead of assisting you, hurt your feelings, hurt your family. And then yet you do not give up in your assistance or khayr that you are doing. That's the test of sincerity. It's very hard. If you did it for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you're bringing someone for Salat al-Fajr every morning. And then you find out he did something. Okay, fine, that's wrong. He shouldn't have done that. But the reward of bringing for Fajr is still there. Now it's extra rewarding because you don't want to. It's so hard on your nafs to go pick that brother up from his house after knowing what he said or did. But this is the test of our sincerity. So if we are people of virtue, we do not stop at this occasion. Instead, we continue. And then the Quran says, They should forgive, they should forget. People of virtue. Don't then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses this punchline. Beautiful. He says, Do you not wish, do you not love that Allah should forgive you? If you want Allah to forgive you, then forgive people. Right? The, the power that you have, the, the, the amount of time, money, and, and, and tears you have spent upon anyone in this world. This is no comparison to how many blessings Allah has given you. Yeah? However much you have blessed anyone, this is nothing, zero, zero in comparison to the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon us. The money that we say we spend upon people, where did that money come from? From Allah. The amount of trips and uh, the, the amount of Trips you and I have taken for to help someone, assist someone. Where did that strength come from? Allah. Where did that gas come from? Allah. The car came from. All of that came from Allah. So now if we are coming, from, if all of that is coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's no one who loves us more than Allah. So then guess what? Give it up for the sake of Allah. Coming here for Salat al-Fajr, early morning in the summer and now as well, it's not easy. Right? If you don't have to go up, yes, to go to the airport and to go to work is very easy. Early morning. We have a habit. But to, you know, to drive through snow and sleet to work is easy. But to, to drive in a slight rain to the masjid becomes hard. 
No one says it's raining, let's not go to work today. You ever heard of that before? But a thousand times you say, oh, it's raining a little bit. It's overcast. Let's pray at home. Right? Let's not attend the masjid program, the Sira conference, because it's overcast. Because it's 37 degrees. So now that's one degree less than I can go to the masjid. So these are foolish shaitani things that happen to, unfortunately, many of us. That we fall for these type of things. And so what I'm trying to say is going to the house of Allah is not, is not necessarily easy unless Allah makes it easy for you. But then we make niya and say, no, I'm doing it for Allah. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it easy for us. So then when Abu Anhu heard this, he, begot, he became so emotional that Allah is revealing a verse for him. And when he said, when Rasulullah recited the verse, Do you not love that Allah forgives you? He said, yes, yes, most definitely I want Allah to forgive me. I have forgiven this individual mistah for what he has done and I make a commitment to continue to support him. Right? So that, this is, I mean, you know, I just glossed over this story of Abu Bakr and, and Aisha and Mistah. But if you think about it, you will get emotional thinking about this story. Any father here who has a daughter and who is of this age maybe, or is of marriageable age, and you think someone accuses your daughter of this and can walk around free in the community in front of you, pray next to you, oh, you you'll, you'll, thinking of this story will make you emotional, will make you feel angry, unbelievable anger over what has happened and unbelievable sad, uh, you know, un, uh, you know, sadness and, and, and not, not, uh, just shock at how the response of Abu Bakr Siddiq was. And to say that if I were into those, if I was, Allah forbid, in that situation, our response would have been very different. But this verse is not only for Abu Bakr Siddiq If you want to prove to yourself and to Allah that you are a man or a woman of virtue, how do you prove it? By forgiveness. That's what the Quran is saying. If you are a people of virtue, then you don't make these big claims. I'm not going to forgive anyone. I'm not going to, I'm going to carry around these grudges, right? I'm not going to forgive anyone and I'm not going to support you. I'm not going to be nice to you the way I used to before. Then you are acting like the rest. But if you say, no, I want to rise above the rest and I want to lead by example and I want to take the higher road, well, this is how you do it. That you do not hold grudges and you spit it out. We need to learn how to do that. This hatred and animosity is uh, a poison. It's a, it's, it's a horrible poison that if a person keeps it within himself, he thinks, he thinks he's harming others. But in reality, he's harming none besides himself. So we ask Allah SWT to give us the strength to be able to forgive one another. So where, do, where, where, where does that humility and humbleness of forgiveness come from? Uh, uh, tribulations. Difficulties in our life sometimes, we say it's not worth it. As one of us thought the mind, he would say, life is so short. There's barely any time to love one another. I wonder how people find time to hate one another. Right? How quickly within seconds a person may lose their parent. They may lose their child. They may lose their spouse. Is it really worth it to sit there and argue uh, endlessly with our own relatives, with our own parents? All those people who don't get along with their moms and dads. All those parents who don't get along with their kids. All those spouses who are having issues. Think of yourself that you're sitting here and Allah forbid, Allah forbid you receive a text message, right? That there's an accident outside. And you go see, and subhanAllah, it's one of your relatives. As many people have shared with me their own incidents that has happened in their life. Exactly like I'm telling you. And then you ask yourselves, does that person really thinking about the argument? At that time, do they think that the argument I had with my mom and dad, the argument I had with my child, the argument I had with my sibling, my spouse, was it really worth it? Allah forbid if a person left the home not talking, on not talking terms, and he finds out that that, that beloved relative of his passed away, how's he gonna, how is he going to feel after that? 
So that can exactly happen anytime. It's just not worth it for us to leave the home on bad terms. It's not worth it to sit and argue every single day with, with our closest of relatives. So forgiveness, the ability to forgive is developed through difficulty. You be, <clears throat> number eight, you have patience during the tribulation and this is beneficial for you. The more difficulty comes our way, we learn how to handle it with resilience. We learn how to handle it with resilience. Sometimes, um, like patience itself, is, is a gateway to paradise, isn't it? Indeed, those who are patient will be given the reward in full, without any accounting. None of us are going to hopefully shoot ourselves in the leg and say, okay, I'm going to be patient now. Like we don't want, we, so how, but how do we get the reward of patience then? We want to get the reward of patience. We want to be able to get it to paradise. But we, we're not going to obviously harm ourselves. So what happens? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself will then send something to you. And it could be something as simple as losing your car keys for a few minutes or for half a day. It could be something as simple as hearing someone speak to you harshly. You were trying to fix his shoes and he, he, you were trying to give him something and you, 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 uh, he just, you had to hear how mouthful. Okay, fine. Just, just don't respond. Don't respond. Don't swear under your breath. Instead, simply remain patient for the sake of Allah. If it hurts you, that's, that's where you do, you, that's where you're patient. No pain, no gain. So if you're, when you're weightlifting, if you're not feeling it, you're not gaining anything. Similarly, when people say things and it hurts, that means then the benefit is there. If you say, no, I don't know benefit, I didn't get it hurt, I wasn't affected by that, then you're not going to get the full reward of patience, right? Because you weren't tested to that level. But when they say something and it really stings you, then that's where the real beautiful reward of patience will kick in. When you swallow that and you don't respond. So, patience through tribulation is a gift of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because we would otherwise not have an opportunity to be patient. Because of all of these benefits and many more, what happens? You become glad and happy that you went through a difficulty. Subhanallah. You're becoming glad and happy because many times when a person doesn't go through difficulty, he's scared. What's going to happen? I may go through, why, why is everything going so well? What if something happens? But then when something happens, he's like, okay, alhamdulillah, I've been, I, I, I survived this. I survived this. Right? So, inshallah, the worst is behind me, as we say. The worst is behind me. So, difficulty then eventually makes us come out stronger and happier. And we, we are not afraid facing it. Someone was just telling me about their difficulties that they went through in their life. So it was mentioning about someone else. The difficulties of their, you know, losing a parent and things of that sort. And he said, a few years ago, if you were to ask me, dear brother, are you ready to go tomorrow? You know, the brother is in his 30s. He said, are you ready to go tomorrow? He said, I would never be. I would say, what? Never. All the 30-year-olds here and the 20-year-olds, ask yourself, if someone comes and tell you, you know what, your time's up. Tomorrow's your last. How would I feel? How would you feel? Just think about that. He said, I would never be able to respond positively. But he said, now I'm literally in a state. If someone said, are you ready to go tomorrow? My answer is, alhamdulillah, yes, I am. Because I've actually gone through so much difficulty and have uh, realized that life is very short, transient. We're not here to live. If not today, I got to go tomorrow. You're at the airport. You just arrived. You sat down with your suitcase. And someone says, your flight's at, you know, 9 a.m. But hey, there's a flight leaving at 7. You're already there. You want to go? 
What's the problem? Say, oh, yeah, I'm here already, of course. I mean, I came here to wait. Let me catch the 7 a.m. Why do I have to wait till 9 a.m.? No problem. You just catch the 7 a.m. That is exactly what the conditions. Live in this world as though you're a stranger or a traveler. When you get a ride, you jump on. You're not going to say, no, I must sit in the airport for another two hours. I'm ready. I got my bags. I'm ready to go. I came here to go. That's why I'm at the airport. If I wasn't meant to, if I didn't come here to board a plane, I would not be sitting at the airport here. We are in this dunya because we have to go to the akhirah. Dunya is an airport. That's what it is. If we were not meant to go to the hereafter, we would not be in this airport. So the fact that we're sitting here, you're listening to me, I'm listening to you, means we're all meant to go to the hereafter. It's the matter of which flight you're going to catch. Which flight they have a seat upon for you and me. It's written. Already a flight number seat. Everything's written. We just don't know which one it is. Passengers are being called every minute. And you eagerly listen. Is my name being called? Every single day, every single night, every single morning, there's janazas across the globe in the thousands. And it's just a matter of minutes, days, and hours before my name will be called. And then, we, whether you like it or not, you got to jump on that flight. So it's high time that we become ready for that. But it's, shaitan makes it us so consumed in our lives <clears throat> that makes us think that the end is very far away. <clears throat> As the Quran says, They regard the hereafter as far away, and we see it to be very near. We see it to be very near. So difficulty in trials brings death real close to us. And makes us realize that, you know, I better prepare. The famous story I always mention of Fariduddin Attar, that he was a... He was a a uh, uh, perfume seller, not a practicing Muslim, not a practicing Muslim, a perfume seller, and an old man entered, or a man entered his store with his disheveled look, with his staff, with his stick, comes in and he started closely looking at all the bottles of perfume, intently. And he, the, the, the store owner realized that, you know, maybe he needs some help or he's just looking around, he's not here to purchase anything. He went up to him and says, what are you looking at? Can I help you have any assistance? And he said, I'm looking at how your soul is stuck into every single bottle of ithar here. And I'm wondering when your time of death will come, how will your soul come out from these bottles? Because you are so connected and engrossed with your material things of this world. So let's, we, all, we may not have bottles of ithar, more than few at home or perfumes, but we have our, our cars and we have our rooms and we have our material things that are piled up till the roof in our houses we have our maybe uh, investments and we have our properties and we have our friendships all of that is our soul is stuck in these things so he looked at at <clears throat> Fariduddin Attar and he said I see your uh, soul stuck into these things how will it ever come out so he got upset he got upset and who you know who are you to judge me and ask me all these questions so he said Rhetorical, it went back to him. So how's your soul going to come out? Huh? You asking about me? You ever worried about yourself? So he said, oh, you're asking about me? Yeah, I can tell you how my soul is going to come out. He put his staff down, he lied down, he recited the kalima and passed away right in front of him. He was meant to die that day. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted him to give hidayah on the way out. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted his death to be the means of guiding this individual. So he sent him to his store to die at his doorstep. He says, yeah, this is how I'm going to die. And he literally said the kalima and passed away easily because his heart was not attached with anything of this world. Now, and he used and throw. 
Person uses the toilet paper in the bathroom, but you're not attached to it. You use it and throw it. So that's how this dunya is mata. It's all mata. Use and throw, use and throw. Appreciate and thank, thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the blessings we have, but we are not attached to them. So Fariduddin Attar, when he saw this, he realized this was a huge sign from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He immediately resorted to seeking forgiveness from Allah. And he dedicated, he left that store and everything he had and dedicated his life to the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and became a zahid, became someone who was disconnected with the material things of this world and, became a, and connected with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and became <clears throat> a scholar of suluk, of tasawwuf and tazkiyah and ihsan whose name is taken now hundreds of years later. Centuries later, his name is mentioned in books and his stories are mentioned. But it started off with learning how to disconnect yourself from things of this world and being, with this whole thought, are you ready to go? Right? So, when you go stand at a, at a place where people are jumping off, you know, bungee jumping or whatnot, you see one after another, you climb, who told you to climb up there? You played the $100, $200 to be up there now. <laughs> There's not one way and the one way is through this. There's no other way going back down. And that's where you are. Everyone is going and jumping off there, you know, off the bridge. Whether with hook or crook, close your eyes, scream you, whatever you want, but you got to go. And if you don't, then someone's going to push you. But that's exactly, subhanAllah. May Allah allow all of us to understand the reality of death. And may allow us to prepare for it every single day. As one of the mashayikh was asked, that if you were to be told that this is your last day, we would love to learn from you. Because mashallah, people ask good questions many times. So they went to ask him, I have this question, if I were to, if I were to, to be told that today is my last day or tomorrow is my last day, what should my schedule be like? What are the most important actions that I should be doing? Should I be in sajda for six hours? Should I be, should I be handing out food to the poor for six hours? What should I be doing? You know, so I want to see how you lead your life to know how my last day should be. So he asked him and his response was, I would lead, if I were to be told that today is my last, I would lead my day like any other day. No changes at all. Because I do lead every day as though it is my last. Right? So that's where I need to be achieve, achieving and what you all need to be working towards is <clears throat> at a state in which we're able to uh, say that we're ready to go. Another, another brother, uh, subhanAllah, he was speaking to our students and I, I also shared the, with the students a story. The beautiful advice one day he gave us, elder brother, he said, you know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he heard it from a scholar and he said, there's only two steps to paradise. Two steps to paradise. One step on your ego. One step on your nafs. One step on your base desires. And the next step into paradise. One step on the nafs. One step in Jannah. Just two steps. As soon as we know how to control our nafs, we will be ready to go to paradise. Isn't that what it's all about? Isn't that what it's all about? that we fall to the temptations of our nafs and that's why we're in a mess where we are today. If we can lead a life in which we control that nafs and we subjugate it and we only listen to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us. The nafs says, think like this. The nafs says, do like this. And we tell the nafs, no, you keep quiet. You keep quiet. Sit in the back. You know, you are supposed to be a passenger, not the driver. Get back into the seat. Right? That's what it's, the nafs is like the child coming out of the booster seat driving the car. <laughs> It's going to definitely lead this car to destruction. Your nafs is not supposed to be on the driver's seat. He's supposed to be tied in and bolstered in into the, into the car seat. He's a child. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's like a child says, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. The nafs says that. I want this. Bye, this is not beneficial for you. This is the third chocolate you're having. That's the fourth hot chocolate you got from the canteen. Come on, stop it. But the child doesn't understand. 
keeps on wanting harmful things for himself, doesn't undifferentiate between right and wrong. This is what the nafs is. Nafs always wants to push us to do things which it likes, which are very harmful. So a person needs to know that put the nafs back in its place. So you go sit where you belong. You don't come here. If you come over here, we're all dead. So when the nafs takes over a person's mind and body, then it's done. So what did he say? One step on the nafs and the next step where? And then he looked at, he looked at all of us. I was sitting there. He looked at the students and he looked at us. And he said, I've taken the first step decades ago and I'm eagerly waiting to take the next step. SubhanAllah. Look at that, man. Can you say that? Can I say that? That I've taken the first step a day ago, a week ago, I'm ready to take the next step. My beloved brothers, today we are living in an era of nafs. Who is the God today? Nafs. Have you seen the one who has taken his nafs as his God? Who says that? The Quran says that. The Quran says, have you seen the one who has taken his nafs as his God? Whatever the nafs says people are doing today. This entire effort outside in the world, the whole movement on the left, and all the various types of efforts that are being made. What is it? It's 100% movement of the what? Nafs. And the movement of the nafs will not stop. Because the nafs can, wallahi, if it stoops low, there is no limit to how low it can go. Much worse than any animal in the world. An animal is ma'dhur, ghair mukallaf. It's not even asked to do any you know, major ibadah or anything of that sort. Just, just don't harm others that you're not supposed to eat. If you're, it's meant to eat them, then no problem. You know, they're all yours. But besides that, you know, keep away from others. Subhanallah, when a person follows the nafs, my dear brothers, then this is like mazallatul aqdam. This is the slippery slope. Once we start going in that direction, then there's no stopping. And then guess what? The nafs is such as like a person, Allah forbid, who is on an intoxicant or a drug or something. He says he's getting a high from smokes. Then from he's getting high from vapes. And then he's getting high from other things. Then he needs the marijuana lace. Then he needs to have a crack lace. He needs to have a heroin lace. Then he needs to have the, you know, uh, those that are made in the, uh, uh, in the labs with all the various chemicals. Because why? He's no longer getting high anymore with this. He, it's so the bar keeps on going lower, not higher. Lower and lower. He says, this is not doing the job for me. I need to do something else. This is not doing the job for me. I need to do something else. It makes sense what I'm saying? So now people are saying, I'm not getting a thrill. Now I don't, you know, uh, there are youth here. You all apply this example to everything out there. Everything out there. You know, you all uh, understand what I'm speaking about here. Addressing the issues. When it comes to fulfilling a desire of intimacy... There is, the, there is the desired, this is the, the deen what, te, what tells us. A proper method of nikah, a proper method of marriage. And tells you you're going to get reward as well. This is the sunnah method. This is the way to do it. But then a person says, no, this is not uh, thrilling enough. This is not enjoyable enough. And he goes one step down. And then another step down, another step down, another step down, another step down. And then you sit there and you think that subhanAllah. By Allah, this type of what you're talking about or what, what is being done it cannot be, it cannot, no human could ever thought about this. Let me put it like that. This is directly Iblis sitting on his throne, inspiring people what to do. Who, which human could have ever thought to become so deprived of any type of morality, any type of, 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 of you know, uh, sense of honor. Yes, yesterday one of the ulama, he shared a message, and this is, I mean, we don't even need to know the sanad of this. We don't need to even know the chain of narration. He's a scholar and a famous scholar of the world. He shared a dream that one of the brothers shared with him. 
And it's just said Rasulullah he had a ziyara, he visited Rasulullah visited him in the dream and just talked about all the calamities that the Ummah is going through right now. Right? Be it Corona, be it all the other endless natural disasters and fear of the Muslims are going through in every portion of the world, of beating up viciously, being beaten up, you know, being abused, lands being taken away, all kinds of zulm and difficulties. He said, the reason, the reason for that is the gist of what I remember what is that the, the spread of indecency within us, the spread of behayayi, you know, the spread of fuhsh, the spread of fuhsh and indecency within the community, the loss of morals is the cause of this. And this is not surprising because Nabi said, Ma zina, fi zina doesn't become common amongst a group of people except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring about such diseases that their forefathers never, had never heard of that would destroy them. So we are suffering mental illnesses, we're suffering all sorts of cancers, we're suffering all sorts of psychiatric disorders, we're suffering also, of course COVID and all its symptoms and all the other you know, uh, types of COVID that are every year, every few months are coming around. SubhanAllah virus, parents, these are, these are all what? These are all Allah says you do not get afflicted with any musibah but it's because of your own doing. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He forgives majority. Majority, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not give us an immediate response. But some of it Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chooses to give us a musibah. My beloved friends, today's world, yesterday someone shared a story. I mean, you know, why do I share these stories? Because these are all case studies. I want it, I want it to, if, it, if, if you know someone who's going through that, to click in your mind. Person says, I've got, you know, three, three children. First one left the fold of Islam. Second one is, he says he's transgender. Third one says he's gay. Mom and dad are all connected, very connected to the masjid, asking the counselor for help. Now the counselor asked me, he's like, I don't know what to do now. I tried to reason with these guys, but they're not willing to even talk. They're not willing to even uh, discuss and change their viewpoints. And I'm like, you can't, because it's all this is. They have chosen to leave Allah as their God and follow their nafs. And that's exactly what the Quran. They've, it's, like, it's like a person becomes, you know, a, a Christian or a Jew or a, or a Buddhist or a Hindu and says, no, this is my, this, this stone is my God. And all he said, but what are you doing? Why are you putting your head down in front of the God? This is it. He's this belief system. How, you know, it's very hard to convince. How many of you know Hindus? How many of you know Buddhists? How many of you know others? You're very intelligent people. Very intelligent people in terms of their science and their physics and math and medicine. But subhanAllah, when it comes to this aspect, they just don't get it. That they said, no, I'm going to worship a God made out of stone that we purchased from a store. You know, that's just, that's just how it is. SubhanAllah, they won't understand that. So now a person is in that state of mind, what do you tell it? This is hawa, this is nafs, you fall in the nafs. All the false gods out there, be it any type of materialism, any ism out there, it goes back to one thing. It is the following of the nafs. When a person follows the nafs, it may take in different forms. So these three boys and the thousands of others, you know, who may be going through various things, what do they need? They need the, we need the guidance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to simply say that I, you know, people become Satanist. There's a whole religion out there, Satanism. You heard about this concert that took place last weekend, right? Where 50,000 people were gathered, eight people died. Out of that one, unfortunately, was a Muslim brother, you know, who died as well in that thing. And now you're hearing about what type of stuff is said. 
I didn't know about this, of course, until this incident happened. And I'm looking at this artist, and I'm looking at the stage he set up. I'm looking at the, the album title, right? I'm looking at the lyrics. It's crazy. We have 50,000 people who came there, and hundreds of millions who follow. And I'm being told by my friends <clears throat> that he's extremely popular in the Muslim community. Kids, <clears throat> youngsters, they all follow these rappers. They follow these musicians and these you know, artists who are agents, 100% agents, the biggest agents of shaitan. <clears throat> and they love them. They listen to them. They argue back with the ustad. Why is music haram? Why is listening to this haram? Come on, it's not. Come on. You know, no one even says anywhere anymore is haram anymore, by the way, unfortunately. So there's the discussion of being haram used to be in the 90s. Right? Kids used to ask us, FAQ, Cheetos is halal haram, right? Is Taco Bell halal haram, right? Is Zabiha non-Zabiha and the music. Those are discussions. That's completely no longer part of the Q&A session. No one will ever, to the extent that if you say music is haram, you 50% of the people say, all right, this is the last time I'm going to show up to this event. Right? We're going to right now go to the Islamic halal entertainment next door with a disc jockey. Right? That, that's, what, that, that's the environment we're living in right now. So this is what... if. <clears throat> this, um, the, the boys here and the girls who are listening to me and the parents understand what's out there. This guy is nothing less than what, what I read, a Satanist. The whole entire stage is like the door of hell, right? The lyrics are about, about making fun of God, blasphemy, making fun of God, making fun of scenes of the Bible, right? And, uh, 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 the, you know, the, the, the jali, shaitani, demonic uh, symbols all over the place. And what do you have? You have hundreds and thousands of Muslims and non-Muslims running to these with drugs, with alcohol, all right, with all different types of people running towards this scene. With excitement, we're going to enter. You had to enter through the doors, through his mouth. Big, massive thing that they made a, a big sculpture. But it's literally like entering through the doors of hell. And our kids are excited to go there. This is what I'm trying to tell you. Did you understand how deprived we are of deen? How many fathers and mothers would have thought that their kids would love this type of stuff? But that's exactly what's happening today. The children, the youth, are, have, have fallen in, in, you know, in love with this type of stuff. And then this is culture, is it left in America? No. It's being exported to the Middle East. It's being exported all over. And they are gulping it down, gulping it down like, you know, a fasting person drinks lassi. Just excited about it. This is what they're doing. They're just so excited to see this filth coming their way that they're giving them a stage and now they have more followers there and more, more you know, uh, money being made and albums being sold than possibly in any other place of the world. You know, I'm talking about percentage-wise. Possibly that's where we, that's, those are massive emerging markets right now for these artists. So what is that? It's, they're actually, many of them are actually Satanist. And it's not... Uh, Conspir Why do they call it a conspiracy theory? Why is this a conspiracy theory? Look at the lyrics. Look at the design of the album. Look at the name of the album. Look at the setup of the stage. Why is this called a conspiracy theory? This is as obvious as it can be. And it's being done in broad daylight. Right in front of everyone. And, and the whole people are supporting. Muslims are going. Are part of this. So you have that. What's the crux of that? That's also nafs. People, you know, why do people have an issue with, of, of, of saying, I can't give up music. I can't give up, you know, smoking. I can't give up. It's the nafs, the nafs, the nafs, the nafs. So this whole, you know, your wonder is how, how long are we going to be continuing these fights on the, with the, with the, with the uh, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, the, the, the continuous propaganda from the left and pushing these thoughts and ideas into the minds and the hearts of our youngsters and our children huh, in our local public school right here. You know, it's all being pushed down in the, in the second grade, first grade, 
uh, uh, kids are now being exposed to this and are being uh, told of how you know this is the right way of life and this is acceptable way of life and things of that sort. So now you say, how am I supposed to save my child from all this stuff? By we need to tell our children and now we need to tell ourselves that we are Abdullah and we're not Abdul Hawa. We are the slave of Allah. We're not the slave of the nafs. Once we just get this thing down, who do you worship? Who's going to get you to paradise? Who do you put your head down in sajda? Your nafs is there or Allah is there? If it's your nafs, then I can help you. I'll just invite you to come back. Come back to the deen. But if you say you're, you're worshiping Allah, then stop listening to what the nafs tells you. I just felt like it. It just makes sense to me. Who cares what makes sense to you? Who cares what you feel like? Because we don't worship ourselves. We worship Allah. That's what the Quran tells us. That's what La ilaha means. La ilaha is you're negating the nafs. There is no God including no nafs. My nafs is not my God. No ism is my God. No philosophy is my God. No mentality in ism that's pushed down from anywhere is my God. Illallah. Except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only God, the only deity. That's who I worship every single day. My beloved friends, connecting with dhikr of Allah is so important. That's what we did we tell you last night what we did today. And subhanAllah, <clears throat> and what I encourage you to do on a daily basis at home is to sit with the family and do dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And don't just blindly do dhikr without thinking what you're saying. La ilaha. Think it's a big massive sword and you're breaking down all the false idols. As Nabi recited these verses of Surah Isra and broke all the false idols. Where? Inside the Kaaba. The truth has come and falsehood has been vanquished. Indeed, falsehood is meant to be vanquished. Falsehood is meant to be vanquished. So the falsehood, it was in the Kaaba. And the bigger idols were right here in the nafs. Inside our heart, inside the soul, we have this, this demon inside. And so when we say, La ilaha illallah, hit that demon. You know when there's a, Allah forbid, if someone's got jinn activity in their home, what, one of the things they do is give adhan. You move into a new home, give adhan in all four corners. Send the shayateen running away. <coughs> right? You see someone is possessed. And one of the things you do is you recite adhan into their ear. <clears throat> it really rattles up the shayateen, those jinns. So when you're doing la ilaha illallah, we got shaytans inside us. That is pushing us to force follow our nafs. What's the best way to whip it? Not with a belt. Right? That's not going to work. Instead you whip it with dhikr of Allah. La ilaha illallah is actually whipping that shaitan. Right? Allahu Allah. That's what he hates. He hates hearing Allahu Allah. He wants to hear nafs, nafs, nafs. He wants to hear shaitan, shaitan, demon, demon. That's Iblis. That's what he wants to hear. But when you respond that with la ilaha illallah, you're actually giving it shaitan within ourselves a lot of pain. And bi'ithni ta'ala, it will weaken the evil effects it has on our soul. So some people say, you know, I have a friend who's, who's leaving the deen, who's left the deen, or he's not interested anymore. What should I say? I said, well, you know what? You can just eat, drink uh, your, of course, your water bottle, I mean. And then after that, uh, you can say, hey, let's do some meditation. Let's do some dhikr. He, oh, but he's not even praying, even if he's not praying. You can take Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's name together. Say, so how about we sit there and we, with a melodious voice and a melodious tone, let's all take Allah's name together. La ilaha illallah. You know, people don't mind that. Sure. People have, some people have asked me how to give da'wah to my non-Muslim. He's so close. I said, well, tell him to do a vicar. He's like, oh. I said, yeah. 
Tell them to do dhikr. You, you start, people singing and others start joining them and they're hymning and they're singing, right? So you start doing dhikr and ask him to, hey, why don't you spend a couple minutes joining me in dhikr? And you know, why not? Eventually, it cannot happen that the name of Allah will not have an effect on the heart. It cannot happen. If this person takes the name, says the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again and again, it's going to slowly remove the gunk and the blackness and the vulma and the darkness over the heart. Sooner or later. Qatra qatra, right? Darya. So by drip by drip, eventually you have a, uh, uh, an entire river. Similarly, La ilaha illallah, eventually it will pave the path for the nur of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to enter this heart. Subhanallah. So this is the, number, the benefit we're speaking about is that it becomes, uh, through difficulty, we become glad and happy. And this was a lengthy discussion on that, subhanAllah. I'll be wrapping up in a couple of minutes now before we do dhikr. He says, you become grateful to Allah because of all these benefits. The calamities provide purification from your wrongdoing and sin. SubhanAllah. So every time we're going through difficulty, our sins are being forgiven. So that's another thing. You wonder, what was the benefit of that? Well, you came out like a, from a car wash. Pure and clean. You came out through difficulty, through sickness, through fever, or anything else. A marriage, a marriage difficulty. All of this is purification of the sin. Allah enables you to show empathy to people. That's why there's a hadith, لا حليم إلا ذو عثرة. There is no forbearing person except for that he's gone through difficulty. There is no forbearing person except for what? This is a hadith of the Prophet What does this mean? What does this mean? This means, ah, mashallah, broken people help broken people. <laughs> Very good. Someone who has gone through difficulty, if, he, if you see someone who's forbearing and he's understanding, it's more than likely that he himself has suffered. And that is why he understands what you're going through. Does it make sense? So if you see someone who's very understanding and very forbearing, it's more than likely it's because he has gone through the difficulty himself. Um, tribulations give you the blessing of having true recognition of the extent of blessings. We won't value the ni'mah until we lose it. So being the, when the lights go off, electricity goes off for a couple hours, you realize the value of electricity. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests us, we rec recognize the value of these blessings. And hidden within many folds of these calamities, folds are hidden blessings. That's why the ulama have said that a difficulty itself is called a hidden blessing. That's why the name of the book Hidden blessing, right? Al-minhatu mihnatun khafiya. Difficulty is a hidden blessing. Difficulty is a hidden blessing. Lastly, is contentment. That a person realizes that whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends to me, whether it's good or bad conditions, I am going to, I have, I have no option besides making sabr. If you don't do sabr, what's going to happen? You're going to cry, scream, and then all of a sudden you're going to get angry, it's going to go away the problem? No, it's not going to go away. So you might as well just you know, sit tight and make the best of it. What's the best of it? All the 14 things, that, 19, 17 things that we just discussed. That's the best of it. When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Well, subhanAllah, we can have much more than lemonade. When life gives you lemon, you can make biryani also with it. You can make lemon custard pie also with it. You can make, you know, today's, uh, mashallah, amazing pastries and what you call breakfast casserole that you're going to see. I'm sure it's got, it's got some lemon zest in it as well. So there you go. You can do a lot besides lemonade. You can have a full meal with lemon. So there's, it's, when difficulties come our way, we can, we can actually go be, way beyond wherever we were.
through the barakah and the blessings of these difficulties. I hope these words are a source of faith and strength and encouragement for myself and all of us. And I'll, I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant you and I afia and well-being in, in all aspects of our life. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us strength to do what's right. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to see His hidden hand in everything. And allow us to appreciate Him for all that we are enjoying. May He continue to allow us to enjoy His blessings. Ameen, Rabbil Alameen. Uh, so we will have our dhikr and dua now. Uh, and we want to uh, uh, thank Dr. Zubair Sayyid for, for hosting us for the breakfast today. Every week we have a different host. So alhamdulillah today he's their host. Um, and Brother Afnan did the um, cooking of some of the uh, hot items. And our students and volunteers, and my Allah bless them and reward them immensely for making the chai and bringing all the items this morning from the grocery store and last night as well. The immense preparations that they do every week. So please make dua for their families. May Allah put barakah on their health and their wealth and in their risk and their sustenance. May Allah allow this serving and this khidmat to become a means of uh, removing any and all difficulties in their life. One of the sponsors of Team Fajr last Friday texted me, said, I sponsored Team Fajr and whatever money I spent on it, uh, subhanAllah, within a week, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave so much increase in my income at home. Right? And he was just appreciative of this opportunity. So anyone who would like to be a sponsor, please you can contact one of us. Sponsorship is not about money. Sponsorship is more than anything else. is about calling your family and friends to attend. We want to see new people every week. We want to see your group of friends here. Right? That's, what, that's what sponsorship means, hosting it. Instead of inviting people to your home, Right? We may have a large home, but it's probably most of us don't have a home as large as the masjid. So now you can say, oh, khalas, I'm going to invite 100, 200 people for breakfast. Right? Uh, and you tell your spouse that you're going to have 200 people over at home. Uh, not sure how that's going to go. Right? But you can tell them that you're coming, inviting them to the masjid. Alhamdulillah. Like, oh yeah, bhai, lejao, bhai, no problem. Every week, go take them to the masjid. No problem. So that's what we request you to do, to please become a host and invite your family and friends to any of these Team Fajr gatherings that we have. The book Hidden Blessings is available in the bookstore. On your way downstairs to breakfast or after breakfast, you can stop by at the bookstore and pick up uh, some books or hoodies or whatever the case may be. But also this book called Hidden Blessings as well. Um, and inshallah, the program will resume <clears throat> after Salatul Dhuhr. We should perform Salatul Ishraq. Before we go downstairs, Nabi Sallallahu has mentioned various virtues for performing Salatul Ishraq. The one who sits in the masjid, after Salatul Fajr or sits in his place after performing Salatul Fajr and does ibadah, remembrance of Allah and dhikr past sunrise, right? Until the sun is up and then performs two rakat salah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give him the reward of an accepted hajj and umrah. And number two, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will uh, fulfill all the needs of his day, right? So this is uh, two things that inshallah, two and two rakat, you can recite any verse of the Quran, any, any verse of the Quran or any surah in that. So and I just reminded you of how to do la ilaha illallah, the dhikr of la ilaha illallah. So keeping that in mind, keeping that in mind, let's do the dhikr inshallah. La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam La ilaha illallah 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 لا إله إلا الله 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 
صلی اللہ علی محمد صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم 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 استغفر الله 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 الذي لا اله الا هو الحي القيوم واتوب اليه اللهم انت السلام انك السلام البارك يا ذا الجلال والاكرام اللهم لك الحمد كله ولك الشكر كله اللهم لا نحصي اثناء عليك انت كما اثنيت على نفسك رب اغفر وارحم وتجاوز عما تعلم انك انت الاعز الاكرم اللهم نور قلوبنا بعلمك واستعمل ابداننا لطاعتك اللهم وفقنا لما تحب وترضى من قول والعمل والنيه والهدى انك على كل شيء قدير اللهم افتح اقفال قلوبنا بذكرك اللهم افتح اقفال قلوبنا بذكرك اللهم افتح اقفال قلوبنا بذكرك اللهم زيننا بزينة الايمان اللهم زيننا بزينة الايمان اللهم اشرح صدورنا للاسلام اللهم اشرح صدورنا للإسلام اللهم وفقنا لما تحب وترضى اللهم إنا نسألك توفيق أهل الهدى وأعمال أهل اليقين اللهم صلي وسلم على سيدنا محمد صلاة تنجينا بها من جميع الأحوال والآفات وتقضيلنا بها جميع الحاجات وتطهرنا بها من جميع السيئات وترفعنا بها عندك على الدرجات وتبلغنا بها أقصى الغايات من جميع الخيرات في الحياة بعد الممات إنك على كل شيء قدير يا الله يا سيد accept this retreat accept this conference accept this this morning gathering oh Allah all the tahajjud that has been performed all the millions of salawat that have been recited oh Allah that the tens of khatm al-Qur'ans that have taken place. Oh Allah, the tears that have been shed. Oh Allah, the hearts that have been touched. Oh Allah, oh Allah, the hands that have been raised and are raised now. Oh Allah, the tawbah, the sincere tawbah that hundreds have done. Oh Allah, the repentance that people have, have performed. Oh Allah, the firm resolves that people have made. Oh Allah, we ask you, Allah, through the barakah of all of this and much more that you have given us, you grant all of us forgiveness. Oh Allah, grant all of us forgiveness. Cleanse our minds, cleanse our hearts, cleanse our eyes, cleanse our ears, cleanse our hands and our feet and every limb and portion of our body from the evil effects of sins. Ya Allah, we ask you to put our foot down on our nafs. Enable us to put our foot down on our nafs. Enable us to put our foot down on our nafs. O Allah, grant us to control our base desires. O Allah, save us from becoming enslaved to our base desires. Ya Allah, allow us to think the way you want us to think. Allow us to think with the vision and the, the, the vision of Rasulullah sallallahu O Allah, allow us to think with the nur of iman. O Allah, allow us to have the perspective on the world and the events of the world and in our life the way you want us to have the perspective. O Allah, the perspective of Rasulullah sallallahu O Allah, save us from having a 
perspective of our nafs. Oh Allah, save us from falling into the entrapments of shaitan and nafs and the entrapments of the evil forces of batil of today. Oh Allah, allow our youth and ourselves to be able to distinguish right from wrong. Allow us to see the demonic forces that are all around us, Ya Allah. And allow us to keep on entering into caves like this cave. And allow us to keep on taking shelter into environments like this. And oh Allah, save us, save us, save us from the evil plots of Iblis, from the evil plots of shayateen, from the human shayateen, from the jinn. Oh Allah, save us from all and all forms of envy, of all forms of hasad and, and, and all forms of, of, of jealousy, all forms of ayn and evil eye, all forms of black magic and sorcery in all its forms. Ya Allah, save us from the curses of the people. Oh Allah, save us from, the, from breaking the hearts of people. Save us from being cursed by people. Oh Allah, save us from any and all evil in this world and the next. Save our progeny, save our generations from that. Oh Allah, put khair and barakah and everything we put our hands in. Oh Allah, all these tens and hundreds of youth that have come from different parts of the country, even sitting here for this Fajr talk, oh Allah, they have made sacrifice. They're young, 17, 18, 19 year olds who've left their home. Many of them have come from warmer climates. Oh Allah, they've come to a cold environment. Oh Allah, they've come to gain the warmth of the deen. They've come to gain the warmth of iman. Oh Allah, allow them to feel the warmth of the deen. Allow them to feel the warmth of this beautiful environment. Allow them to feel the warmth of loving you, the warmth of loving your Nabi, the warmth of reciting salawat upon the Prophet alayhi salatu salam. Oh Allah, allow them to yell, prefer this warmth over any other warmth of this world. Oh Allah, allow us all to enjoy the warmth of the deen more than any other warmth that batil gives us, Ya Allah. Oh Allah, we ask you to allow us to be, to be able to give preference to the deeny environment over any and all other environments. Ya Allah, every single brother and sister who's come yesterday, who's who came today, who's planning to come to the rest of the Sira program, oh Allah, allow their mere entrance into this masjid to become a means of their complete forgiveness. Allow it to become their entrance to become a means of the game changing in their lives. Allow it their entrance here, driving by here, entering into the seminary to become a means of their mindset changing. Ya Allah, you are Qadir. Just like people, they look at the Kaaba, their hearts change. They step foot in Medina, their hearts change. Oh Allah, just like you have created Mecca and Medina, you can create any portion of land. Oh Allah, Hidayah is in your hands. Oh Allah, make this institution, this masjid, this madrasa, and the, this building, the picture of this building. Oh Allah, and the a'mal of the, that takes place in this building make it a means of hidayah. Oh Allah, oh Allah, put effect just like the people of Batil put so much effort into making their symbol satanic and making their efforts satanic that they try to invite towards their falsehood through their events, through their symbols, through their music. Oh Allah, we ask you to make this event and this environment and this dhikr and this dua and this, even the logo of the masjid, make it a means of hidayah, ya Allah. Oh Allah, make it a means of hidayah. Oh Allah, you are all powerful. Iblis is a small creation of yours. Oh Allah, he by no means can overpower anyone. Oh Allah, oh Allah, he's a small creation of yours. Save us from his evil planning. Save us from his evil plots. Oh Allah, expose his plots to us. Expose his plots to us. Allow us to see right through the smoke screen. Allow us to see his evil plots against the youth, against the women, against the elders, against the children. Oh Allah, grant us the strength to be able to take our all the precautionary measures to protect ourselves from the evil traits and the plots of shaitan and his cronies, Ya Allah. Oh Allah, we ask you, Allah, to make this event a means of bringing happiness to Rasulullah and allow us to be, get, bring happiness to the awliya uh, who are all, all the uh, uh, Allah, awliya that are alive today. And allow this event to become a means of sadaqa jariyah to all those who passed away from our elders, our parents, and our teachers. Oh Allah, oh Allah, we ask you, Ya Allah, to grant us all what we have, what we have asking in our hearts. Everyone, every youngster and elder here, whatever du'as they're making, whatever's making them tear up, whatever's making them cry, whatever's making them, Ya Allah, worried, anxious, Ya Allah, you know the secrets of their hearts. Grant them what they're asking for. Save them from what they are afraid of. 
Oh Allah, grant them what they're asking for. Save them from what they're afraid of. Oh Allah, grant us all paradise. Grant us all protection from hellfire. Grant us the companionship of Rasulullah under your throne on the day of judgment. Couple, one more announcement before you head downstairs. Recite the dua, say Bismillah before eating. You can share a plate if you have never done so. Rasulullah's method, Sunnah method is to have multiple people eat together. We can wash our hands of course and then eat together in a plate. Ideally with someone who you do not know. Ideally someone who you do not know. And use this opportunity to relive the Sunnah of Rasulullah of eating together. And mashallah welcoming and getting to know some new faces uh, who, are, who, have, who have all come here. And their sisters who are here also, inshallah, will make arrangements for food over them, for them as well. And um, uh, recite the dua, Bismillah, Barakatillah. And then, inshallah, recite the dua for the host. Alhamdulillah, ladhi at'aman, Allahumma at'im, man at'amana. You can read it with me right now. Allahumma at'im, man at'amana. Wasqi, man saqana. Okay? And then the next dua, akala, ta'amakum al-abrar. Wasallat alaykum al-malaika. Wa aftara, indakum al-sa'imun. Right, so this is the beautiful dua that we're supposed to recite after we finish eating. And now, last but not least, these are some remaining cards I have here. Okay, brothers, you're looking at this, sisters as well. We can send some over to you if you're here. This is called the 10,000 salawat card. I see so many youth here, and I see every single one of you, youngsters and adults, who has not filled out one card. I want you, inshallah, to take it upon yourself by Salatul Maghrib that you fill this card out. Okay, what does that mean? You recite 10,000 salawat today then you're going to really be gaining something from this conference. If you've come from far or wide or you just drove across the street from here, I want all of you to pick, pick up one of these cards and inshallah you can get one of these tasbih counters from the... Um, this is not a pipe, okay? And some of you are like, oh, what do you got in your hand? This is, this is a tasbih counter, right? Right here. Right? It's a tasbih counter. So you can get this from the bookstore downstairs or you can use your normal tasbih. But you can, every 100, you mark one box. Every 100, you mark a box. And once it's done, there is a donation box for salawat cards in the lobby. You deposit it over there by tonight. We will tally it up and then we'll have the final finale tonight after Salat al-Isha. When we make the concluding dua, we are, our goal was 7 million. And inshallah, you're going to help us break that record. Okay? So I'm leaving it here. Uh, Alhamdulillah, just to give you a little encouragement, there are brothers here who have been doing 25,000 or 20,000 per day every day for the past 10-15 days. There are people who are doing 30,000 a day. You heard me right. And it's not like they don't have, they're not doing anything else. They're leading a normal life. They're studying here all day and they're doing, still doing 30,000 salawat. So I'm sure every one of us can do 10,000 today if you simply make that niyyah. Why did we come here? We came here to bring change. MashaAllah, change will come through practically taking, lesson, taking these lessons and implementing it immediately. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspire me to spend the day in salawat. May Allah inspire all of you to do the same. And those who are listening online, you can, you can send your numbers to masjidds.org backslash salawat. It's on the front page as well, on the Sira conference page, masjidds.org backslash salawat. Jazakumullah khairan. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.